anointing. All right, now, now, y'all sit down. That's my wife, if you don't know that. I'm just having some fun. Hey, how did Jesus teach? With power? With authority? What was his method of communication or making his point? Parables is the fancy word, right? If you don't know what a parable is, it's just a fancy way of saying that Jesus would take things that everybody already understood, just natural, earthly, common, daily things. He would take normal, daily things that everybody understood, but he would apply a spiritual truth and principle to those things. Can anybody think of some parables that Jesus told? The, the sower, sowing the seed. What would you say, Sam? The prodigal son. Hey, can anybody relate to a child that's kind of gotten off course here? Hello? And, you know, maybe that you're, you're the parents waiting for them to come back home. Uh, you know, we can, all, we can all relate to that. How many of you were the prodigal child? All right. Now, any, some other parables. The lost sheep that the shepherd would go search for that lost sheep. Yeah. Anybody ever lost anything? Ever, any, have you ever lost your keys? How many of you lose your keys every day? Just, okay. How many of you ladies lose your purses? You know, you leave them everywhere you go? Okay. Men lose car keys, you know. How many of you lost your cell phone? And you can relate to the lost sheep. You know, I'm just looking everywhere. Boy, I, I'm, I'm, I don't even want to tell you about the last time I lost my cell phone, where I found it. Well, in fact, it took a plumber to find it. It was in the bottom of my commode. But I'm not going to tell you about that. That would be embarrassing. Any other parables Jesus told? The pearl of great price. Point is, it was of such value that he went and gave up everything else so that he could have that one thing. The good Samaritan, right. Somebody... Uh, actually, you know, the point of that, a lot of that has to do with crossing ethnic uh, lines and helping each other, you know, and overcoming prejudice. That's an important thing there. Any other parable? This, uh, wait a minute, time out. You guys are doing great. Y'all wake up over here. Y'all wake I came over here. Now, I know some of you young people are asleep. You got in late. late. But, but honestly, I, I, I ask, I said, really, would you have gone to bed before midnight? No, when I got home, I kept doing this, you know. So I don't feel sorry for you. Josh, wake up, okay? Get, go. Okay, nobody else can bring coffee in here. Josh, go get some coffee. Wake up. You know, I, go ahead. That's fine. I don't care. But, <laughs> that's fine. Yeah, I'd, rather, I'd rather be awake with coffee than asleep and sanctified. <laughs> parable, parable. The lost coin. You know, another thing there, lost and found. Mustard seed faith. Hey, could people, could, could people in that farming community uh, understand a seed? And, you know, what you can do, if you, if you just have a seed, what you can do with it? Okay, so Jesus would take normal, everyday uh, circumstances and teach and apply a spiritual truth. So today, <clears throat> I'm going to be like Jesus. I have a parable. It's called 
the Super Bowl. <laughs> so I had to say all that so I could actually do what I want to do so that you feel like it's, I'm justified in doing it this way, okay? We're going to talk about, can anybody relate to football? If you can't, that's okay. Now, tonight, I just give you, give you a, a word. I'm going to be watching the Super Bowl. Now, we do not normally have Sunday evening services. Occasionally we do, like a couple of weeks ago when Doug Eccles was here. We had a Sunday night service. And occasionally we have Sunday night services, but we don't normally have it. I, I'm glad I can stay home, miss church, watch the Super Bowl, and not even feel guilty about it. Now, I have a good friend that used to pastor here in town, and boys, you know, he was always trying to pump that Sunday night crowd, and he would, he would lay a guilt trip on people that you could not believe. He told me this, that on Sunday of the Super Bowl, he'd always say, now those of you that love football, you can stay home and watch the Super Bowl. Those of you who love God will come to church. <laughs> I'm glad I don't have to do this, you know. And that same friend who would do that to his congregation two years in a row called me right during the Super Bowl. And he would call me and Sam, I don't know if you've ever heard this story, but one year he called me and he said, Kurt, he said, I'm down at the emergency room at the hospital. And I just ran into Joe Matlock. He's been brought in. They think maybe he's having a heart attack. And I, I saw his family, and his family asked if I would call you so that you would come to the hospital right now. And, you know, half of me was saying, he's pulling my leg because he knows I get to stay home and watch the Super Bowl, and he can't. He's got to go to church. But half of me is saying, I can't take that chance. <laughs> right? So, <clears throat> I want to tell a parable today, and we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Let's go ahead and and get our PowerPoint going here. I want to talk to you about the winning team. How many of you have ever played on a team was not, that was not the winning team? And I don't know about you, but losing is never fun. I don't care if it's football, basketball, tiddlywinks. I don't like to lose. Now, you can be a good loser. That means you don't cuss and spit. <laughs> but you don't, you're not supposed to enjoy losing. God created us. You know, you are destined to be a winner. God created. When you were born again, you got on the right team. You were joined to the right team. God in heaven said, I want you on my team. And folks, I learned a long time ago, even if you set the bench, if you're on the winning team, it's always more fun to win than it is to lose. I'm not preaching, I'm coaching today. I got my coaching voice out. My dad was a coach his entire life. I grew up on a football field and in a basketball gym. Dad coached football and basketball. I can yell with the best of them. Amen. All right, we're on the winning team. Let's go to the next slide here. Let's read 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Remember, now this is the Apostle Paul. 
He's talking about a race and he's talking about a boxing match. So I'm being very biblical today by talking about a sports event. Remember, remember that in a race, everybody runs, but only one wins first or gets the prize. You also must run in such a way that you will win. Okay? Talking about winning. That's a Bible principle. Run your race. Run your life in such a way that you can win. Verse 25, all athletes practice strict self-control. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. How many of you are looking forward to that eternal prize? Next, verse 26, so I run straight to the goal with purpose in every step. I'm not like a boxer who misses his punches or just hits wildly in the air. Said, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. But I want us to go back to the first verse. Halfway through the first verse, verse 24, it says, You also must run in such a way that you will win. You know, one team will win tonight, and one team will not. Now, just for, can we have fun? Can we have fun? All right. I'm going to have some fun. I want to know who's going to win tonight. We don't have eggs in the microwave. We want to find out who's going to win tonight. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. That's okay. Now, I'm not, I'm not asking your intellect to tell me who you think has the better chance of winning. I want to know who you're rooting for. Since the Cowboys aren't in there, we can just, you know... We, there, okay, you, this is not a right or a wrong answer. If you think the Giants, the New York football Giants, you want, let me just put it like this, you want the New York football Giants to win tonight. You want Eli... <laughs> Glad you're laughing here. <laughs> well, I think I know who Sammy up there is rooting for. If you want the New York football giants to win, let me hear you express it here, okay? You want the... All right? Now, if you want the uh, New England Patriots to win, let me hear you. Y'all were a little slow on that. Now, you know... Now, I'm a little surprised. I, I really think that based on volume that most of you want the Giants to win. But just in case you were asleep and you didn't know what this, you know, you're afraid I was going to, you know, take sides. I'm not taking sides here. I just want you to tell me. I'm going to give you one more chance. If you're, if you're rooting for the Giants, I want to hear it. ask me who we were rooting for. <laughs> Somebody laughed. I appreciate that. Okay. I heard from the John. How about the Patriots? You want the Patriots? All right. You, you all perked up a little bit on that one. I guess you figured you're not going to get in trouble. Well, one team is going to win. You know, in life, in spiritual life, in the kingdom is the same way. How many of you know one team is going to win? And one team is going to lose. Now, we have the advantage. 
I've read the Bible, I know who wins. Jesus Christ said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. I know who is going to win. We are going to win. The church is going to win. The kingdom of light is going to overcome the kingdom of darkness. I'm on the right team. Now, sometimes it may look like we're behind, but we're still going to win. Sometimes you feel like, man, I'm really getting whooped up over here. You don't have to win every quarter to win the game. You know, it's who's ahead at the end wins. And you may feel like you're a little behind right now, but that's okay. You're still on the winning side. So today I want to talk about football. And I'm going to teach the way Jesus would teach. And I want to give you five things that every winning team has to have. The first one is humility. I'm going to talk about that. Really takes humility to win. Arrogance is always counterproductive to winning. It takes unity of leadership. It takes a good coach, the right coach. It takes mutual dependence. A team has to depend on each other. And the last thing I want to talk about this morning is how a good team, a good player will always elevate the play of someone else. So number one, let's talk about humility. There is no limit to the good a man can do if he doesn't care who gets the credit. When I played football in high school, that was a poster that was over the coach's door. Every day I would see it. When I would sit down in front of my locker, that poster would be right in front of me. Every day I would read that poster. I'm sure someone famous said it, but I don't know who said it. That was not on the poster. I just saw this every day, year after year after year. There is no limit to the good a man can do if he does not care who gets the credit. Now, humility is the ability to acknowledge I need other people and it's not all about me. But understand, humility is like meekness. You know, being meek is not being weak. Being meek is not being weak. In fact, the Greek word meek describes a horse that has been trained to ride. It's no longer wild. It's as strong as it ever was. It's just under control. You don't want a weak horse, but you, you don't want a wild horse either. Meekness is actually strength under control. Now, there is a world of difference between confidence and arrogance. Every athlete has to be confident. Every athlete has to believe in himself and his team. Every athlete has to go out there with the confidence, I'm going to do my best and I am going to win this game. But it's one thing to believe that you're going to win and it's another thing to get arrogant. Every now and then some big mouth sports star gets in front of a TV camera and says, we are going to win, I guarantee it. And occasionally they're right, but most of the time when you see that, they're wrong. Because arrogance is always counterproductive. The great orchestra conductor, Leonard Bernstein, was once asked of all the instruments in the orchestra, 
From the little piccolo to the great big huge kettle drums. From the small cornet to the large sousaphone. He said, which is the most difficult instrument to play? Without hesitating, Bernstein responded, second violin. said, everyone wants to be first violin, but no one wants to play second fiddle. But how many of you know it takes first violin and second violin and third violin? It takes the players on the field and it takes the substitutes on the bench. Tori played a game Friday and Saturday with only one substitute. By the end of the game, they're so wore out they can't even play. You need backup. No one can do it all. We all need backup. Folks, that's what being a friend is. You got somebody else's back. And it doesn't matter who's starting and who's subbing. It's just you got each other's backup and you're working for the same team. There's no limit to the good a man can do if he doesn't care who gets the credit. You know, the guy that goes home tonight crawls in his bed and never played a single play. Never saw the field during the game. He gets the same reward as everyone else on the winning team. There may be a New York giant who goes home tonight. He may be thinking, I wish I'd have got to play. I wish the coach would have called my name. But you know what? He will get a Super Bowl ring if the Giants win. Now, if the Patriots win, there'll be somebody who never plays a single play. Maybe they're only on the kickoff team. Maybe they're only on the punt team. Maybe they're only on the extra point team. But he'll get a ring just like the man who's just like Tom Brady if the Patriots win. The Bible says to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord. And what happens when we do that? If I'll humble myself, God will lift me up. If I'll humble myself, God will do the exalting. You see, arrogance is when we exalt ourselves. Confidence is when we, when we put our trust in the Lord. And we humble ourselves and we wait for God to do the promoting. You know, the Bible says in Psalm 75, verses 6 and 7, that promotion doesn't come from the north or the south or the east or the west, but promotion comes from God. He puts up one, puts down another. God knows who to elevate and when. You say, well, I've never been elevated. Well, your time is coming. Be faithful in the small things. Be faithful behind the scenes. Be willing to be put on the back burner because God will pull you out front at the right time. Be willing to be second fiddle. Be willing to be the substitute. Your time is coming. Amen? Amen. Now, I've been amazed, and I'm not picking sides. I'm just using as an example. There are a number of players who went to the New England Patriots. Not for the money. Some of the greatest players in the NFL chose the Patriots. They turned down large contracts for other teams because they wanted to be on the winning team. Now, some players, it's all about money. Some players, it's just, who gives me the most money? I'll go play for them. They may, they may have a terrible team, but they're going to pay me more money. 
But one reason the Patriots are where they are today is because some of the greatest players in the NFL said, we'll take a cut and pay because we want to go be with them. That's humility. That's humility. They'd rather win than make more money. The second quality of a winning team is they have unity of leadership. You know, when the game starts tonight, each team will have one quarterback on the field at a time. When they huddle up, there'll be one person who says, this is the play we're going to run. When they go to the line and, the, and they get behind the center and they get ready to snap the ball, there'll be one guy who's changing the calls, making the audibles. You know, the huddle is not a time for everyone to do their own thing. Could you imagine what it would look like? Have you seen the Tony Romo commercial with Jerry Jones and everybody when the offensive coordinator yawns when he makes the call? Have you seen that? And, the, and from the, the, the top box, the coordinator yawns, and he says, you know, red, 92, blah. And so Tony Romo hears that, red, 92, blah. So he goes in the huddle, and he says, red, 92, blah. And everybody looks at him funny. Then they snap the ball, and everybody runs in a different direction, and he gets creamed. And some of you may enjoy that. A team is never the time when everybody does their own thing. A team is never, well, I want to do it this way. You see, a team means we choose to work together. A team means that no one does their own thing. And because the church is a team, understand me, there are a lot of Christians who really don't even want a church. There are a lot of Christians who have no use for church because a church requires I submit to the greater good of the whole. I'm just not about doing my own thing. You see, if I did my own thing, I'd have slept in this morning. Because sometimes I'm just tired. If I do my own thing, I wouldn't prepare a message. I'd just come here and say, God, I'm going to open my mouth. You fill it. That's called lazy. If I did my own thing, I wouldn't have shaved or brushed my teeth or combed my hair. <laughs> that scared you. <laughs> you see, church is not for everybody. It's only for people who are willing to be a team player, who don't have to have it their own way. They're willing to come and have it what is best for everyone. You have to be a team player to be part of a church. Now there has to be a unity of leadership. One reason the children of Israel perished in the wilderness and did not enter the promised land is because at a crucial point in their history they had two sets of leaders. God had called and ordained Moses and Aaron and he had a whole team of leaders like Joshua and others. But when the going got tough, there was another group of leaders that rose up and said, you know, we, we're not going to follow Moses anymore. We don't like uh, Aaron. Fooey on Joshua. We've got our own agenda. We have our own direction. And they actually said, let us 
elect a new leader and go back to Egypt where he came because, you know, it was better back there. It's tough where we are right now. It's difficult where we are right now. There's a trial going on right now. Let's just go back and take the easy way out. And God stepped in and said, that's it. And in the New Testament, the Bible says our, our ancestors rejected Moses and wanted to return to Egypt. There must be a unity of leadership. This church has a pastor, but he's not a dictator. This church has a board, but they're not a dictator. But there has to be a unity and agreement. There has to be a spirit of unity among the leadership. And thank God there is. I'm not preaching to the choir today. There is a unity of leadership here. The third thing every team needs is a coach. Uh, just so you know where I'm headed with this, we have a coach. His name is Jesus. What does the coach do? Well, first thing he does, he recruits all the right people. Builds the team. God is recruiting you. God is asking you not just go to heaven. God is saying, join my team. Come be part of a winning team. And there's a time of preparation that God teaches us and trains us and we learn and we grow and we develop. And this is something that the church unfortunately has made many, many mistakes on, especially when it comes to famous people, movie stars, rock stars, etc. Somebody famous gets saved and we immediately want to interview him on our television show. A, a music star or singer gets saved, and we immediately want to put them on the platform. You know, I don't care if Michael Jackson got saved today, he has no business singing in a church. Because he's a novice. We take novices and make leaders out of them, and then exactly what the Bible says happened. I can give you name after name after name of famous People who've been saved and we immediately put them in ministry. Do you know what? If somebody famous gets saved, they ought to just sit right beside you for a while. And just learn. Oh, maybe they can sing better than someone on the platform. Doesn't matter. It's not about talent. It's about training. If the best speaker in the world got saved, he shouldn't just immediately become a preacher. Now, you know what? Now, now unless you misunderstand me, if Michael Jackson gets saved, and I hope he does get saved, that girl needs a lot of help. <laughs> if you don't have a sense of humor, you won't last long around here. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> All right, if you have to forgive me, just forgive me. That's okay. <laughs> Because if you don't today, sooner or later, you'll have to forgive me. <laughs> All right? Now, and I don't mean to be picking on somebody, but I'm just pulling a, a name out of the hat. But if Michael Jackson gets saved today, you know what? He doesn't need to be on this platform, but he needs to be in the pew. Yes. Well, what should he do? Well, he ought to tell people, guess what? I've asked Jesus to come into my life. My life has changed. I'm no longer confused about my gender. That's one thing Jesus will do. He'll help you figure out if you're a man or a woman. There's only two. 
And if you're confused, don't feel bad. Just ask God to help you. Start by looking in a mirror. Not here at church. Go home. I'm not making, understand me, I'm, I'm not making fun of anybody, but God will help you straighten all the issues of life out. Michael Jackson should tell people, Jesus Christ has changed my life. I know who I am. I know where I'm going. I have a purpose. I have a meaning in life. And I just, I can't wait to give, you know, to tell other people about him. But you see, it's one thing to witness to your friends. It's something else to be made a, we make Christian celebrities out of people. And almost in every case, we've lost them. Almost in every case, we've lost them. Because we didn't take the time to disciple them. Now, there, there have been some exceptions. But they kept them under wraps. And they trained them and discipled them for a period of time until they were ready. God is recruiting a team and God is calling you, join my team. God will prepare us and train us. You know, I, God will put us through spiritual boot camp. God will put us through um, off-season training. And then God will give us a game plan. You know, you'll hear a lot of talk today about the game plan. What is the New England game plan? What is the New York game plan? Well, how many of you know God has a game plan? And God has a game plan for the church universal, but God has a game plan for this church. God knows what he's doing. God is recruiting, training, and raising up people. I appreciate the team that God has put together. And you know that most of our team here are volunteers. Most of our team are people that have a job just like you. Most of our team are people that are raising kids just like you. Most of our team are people who are imperfect just like you and me. Some of us, the Lord allows to do this as our full-time vocation. And I appreciate the team that God has put together. I could start calling names. And, and you'll forgive me because I'll never, I'll never say all the right people and, and there is no way we could get onto the volunteers. But, you know, I appreciate Tammy and the job that she does here in this church. I appreciate Pastor Josh and Sandra and the job that they do, jobs that they do here in this church. I appreciate Allison and the job that, that she is doing with the support and help of her husband. I appreciate Luis and Susana. I appreciate Danny and Jesse. I appreciate Rachel. And you know, when I start listing volunteers, the list would go on and on. I appreciate the ushers. I appreciate the nursery workers. I appreciate the Sunday school teachers. I appreciate the children's church workers. I appreciate the kitchen workers every Sunday morning. I appreciate the Wednesday night workers and the volunteers and the youth workers. And you understand that the list would just go on and on and on. And I invite you, find your place. Find a place to volunteer. Where can I help? Where can I serve? And you can think out of the box. It doesn't have to be in one of these categories that, that we normally think of. We may not have a list of names of people who pray and intercede for the church, but you know what? I believe that 
one of the most important things we can do Monday through Saturday is pray. And I think maybe we need to notch that up just a little bit. The time and the intensity that we spend praying. I want you to pray in such a way that when somebody walks in this building and they've never asked Jesus into their life, that they become immediately aware that they are in the presence of something different. This isn't like the, uh, the, the, the Elks Club or the Moose Lodge or the Frog Bunch. This... Surely there's a bar called the Frog somewhere around here. This isn't like the school. This isn't like the, and I love the Lions Club. I used to be a lion. I used to be the president of a Lions Club. But this isn't like the Lions Club. I want people to feel something different when they walk in this building. I appreciate the Qantas and the work that they do. I appreciate the Rotary. I appreciate the Optimus. But you know what? This is different. And I want you to pray that when people walk in here, they, they realize this isn't just another club. There is something special here. And I want people to have something drawing their hearts. And we know that something is someone. And that is the Holy Spirit. But I want people to come here and before they leave this building, they realize there's something missing in my life and I want what is missing. Now, some of you were hard nuts to crack. You came to church several times before you got saved. Maybe several weeks, several months, several years before you got saved. It doesn't have to be that way. I was one of those easy nuts. First time I walked into a building like this, oh, I'd been to the ritual church. I'd worn the robes. I'd been a, I was actually a member at another church when I walked into a service like this one time, and I realized the very first time there's something different here than what was in the old church. Let's pray that people know the difference. God is our coach. And the Bible says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, that we work together. We work together. That's a principle right there. But as partners who belong to God, God's our coach. And he's in control. This is God's work, not ours. And you see, it's so important a church is unlike a personal ministry. This church has already been through a series of leaders. And if the Lord tarries, it will transition from me to someone else. Because it's not about me. It's not about me. A personal ministry is always dependent upon the person that started it. When they die, the ministry usually, with rare exception, dies with it. But a church is not based on who stands on the platform, who speaks behind the pulpit. A church is a church. I just happen to be serving as pastor for right now. And I'm not getting ready to quit. I plan on being here for just a few more years. Like about, how old am I? About, you know, 15 or 20 more years I plan on being here. And I look forward to the day, you've heard me say this, I look forward to the day when I'm, you know, in my 60s, maybe 70s, not my 80s. Because I look forward to a time when I don't have to, have to do what I do right now.
I look forward to the time that Kim and I, we can just kind of travel the country and visit our kids and our grandkids and our friends. Now, I'm not retiring from the ministry and I'm not quitting the kingdom, but, you know, I don't think I got a pastor until I die. Are you with me? Hope you understand that. I look forward to a time that I get to pass the baton to the next generation. And God is my witness. I want to be sitting on the very front row cheering for the guy who follows me. Amen. Or girl. That'd be, you know, whoever God calls. I want to sit on the front row. I want to be the next pastor's biggest cheerleader. I want to run up to him after every service and say, that was the best, best message I've ever heard. Even if I have to speak a little faith. I want to pat somebody in the back and say, you're doing a great job. Keep it up. I don't want to be an old, sour preacher who stinks. All right. It's God's building. It's God's work. Let's keep going here. Number four. The winning team, number four. A team understands mutual dependence. Coaches will talk today about the three parts of the game. There's offense, there's defense, there's this is the test. Watch number three. Special teams. There's offense, there's defense, and there's special teams. And every coach will tell you, you have to win two out of those three. You don't have to win all three, but you've got to win two out of the three. Maybe your offense and special teams can win the game tonight. There have been a lot of teams, if you remember the Baltimore Ravens and Ray Lewis, it was defense and special teams. They could win a game with defense and special Their defense would score more points than their offense. But it takes all three facets of the game. But the point is, no one part can win it by themselves. You can have the greatest offense. You can be the St. Louis Rams and have the, what are they called? The greatest show on turf. But you know what? They lost the last time they went to the Super Bowl because that's all they had. They had offense, but they had no defense and they had no special teams. What am I saying here? No one part can win it alone. The praise team can't win it alone. Preacher can't win it alone. Prayer team can't win it alone. Youth can't win it alone. You know, there are times that parts of church get competitive with each other. And when different facets of the church become competitive with each other, even a little jealous of each other, then the team starts to lose. Because the offense needs the defense, and the defense needs the special teams, and the special teams need the, you know, you see it, it goes around. Here's, here's what the Bible says. We're to bear one another's burdens. What does that mean? We help each other. We are here to help each other. If one part is weak, the others will pick up the slack. Yes. If the offense can't carry it tonight on whichever team, the defense will step up and pat, pat the quarterback on the back and say, don't worry, we'll get the ball back. We'll get it back for you. We are mutually dependent on each other. The youth ministry is dependent upon the children's ministry, especially since they're married to each other right there. But... The Sunday school, the children, the youth, the praise, all the different facets of the church, we depend upon each other. 
And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12, 26, if one part suffers, then everybody suffers with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. Okay, can I give you one more point? Oh, how did it get so late? How many of you hungry? How many of you know what you're eating for lunch? How many of you, how many of you don't have a clue? Well, I think somebody with the burrito stand outside in the parking lot could do really good today. Okay. <laughs> the, last, the last thing I want to share with us today, and it relates to the church. You take Michael Jordan. If not for individual talent, for what he brought to his team, I think he was the greatest player to ever play basketball. There may have been a few like Wilt Chamberlain that could outscore him on a given night. But the one thing that everyone said about Michael Jordan, and I'm not suggesting he was easy to get along with, but what everyone said about Jordan was that he would elevate everybody else's game. Part of it was he demanded excellence from those around him. And if you were going to play on the same team as he played, you better be ready to give it 110% or he was going to have a talk with you. But he was so good, and everybody knew he was going to score most of the points, but it wasn't all about Michael Jordan. It was all about winning. And I tell you what, in, in the kingdom of God, we need the Vince Lombardi attitude. Vince Lombardi said, it, it is not whether you win or lose, it's whether you win. Dan, I hear you've got a little competitive nature about you, you know, that you don't really like to lose. Vicki was talking about you yesterday at the basketball game. And I appreciate that. I want to be around people who want to do their best at whatever they're doing. I want to be around people who are willing to raise it up a notch and go the extra mile and do it just a little better than I have to do it. We need to learn to elevate each other's game. You say, is that a spiritual principle? Absolutely. The Bible says to, now New King James is going to read edify each other. You know what edify means? To build each other up. So I got, we just cut to the chase here. The Bible says to encourage each other. How many of you know we need somebody to encourage us? I, I, need, I need people to encourage me. There are times I just wish one person would tell me that was a good message. I, helped, I liked it. Am I asking for a compliment? You bet. <laughs> How many of you know we all need to hear good job? So if five people don't come up to me after this message and say good thing, I'm going to be really disappointed. But, <laughs> and if, if, if you don't get to me in person, just send me an email. Call me. Leave a message, something. <clears throat> Is that clear enough? Y'all understand me? But how many of you know everyone on the praise team needs to hear a good job? Your Sunday school teacher needs to hear a good job. Those that serve in the kitchen need to hear, that's a great burrito. That hot sauce is out of this world. I told Kim this morning, you could market that hot sauce. You could. She said, she said I have, you know, for fundraisers. We've been, I tell you what, I'm ready. I tell you what, Sam's got some rocket fuel that... that you could sell that. But, you know, it's like Brill Cream. 
Most of you are not old enough to remember Brill Cream. A little dabble, do you? Sam's Rock. Now, your hot sauce, I love it. It's great. I just, I'd pour that all over everything and love it. You know, I, I, want, I want equal parts of hot sauce and burrito. You don't want to do that with rocket fuel over here. It's all green. We ate some last night. Kim cooked some food last night. We, but I sprinkled that, that rocket fuel around. Hallelujah. If you, I tell you what, if you don't, never mind. I'm just trying to say, you know, we all need encouraged. It may be as simple, good to see you this morning. I'm glad you're here. That makes a difference. People need to hear. I'm glad you're here. Thanks for coming. Hope you come back. Hey, folks, if you haven't heard it from anybody else, let me tell you right now. Thanks for coming. I'm glad you're here. I think this is the greatest church in the world. And, that's, and I'm not competing or comparing with, with another church because we're not in competition with other churches here in Midland. If you just absolutely hate football and you do not want to stay at home because every channel is going to be about football, let me encourage you, go to Midland First Assembly tonight on Wadley, just next to Main Street. Our good friend, one of my best friends, Jim King, is preaching there tonight. And, if, and Jim's been here before. Most of you know him. If you just got to get out and go to church, go to Midland First Assembly. Tell him I sent you. Yeah. Just walk in, tell them, you see, you don't know the Pastor Mike? Just walk up to Pastor Mike and say, hey, my Pastor Kurt Bersink told me to come here to church tonight. And he also said, put a thousand dollars in the offering. <laughs> okay. I think this is a great church. I think this is the best church. And I encourage you to join the team. Be a part of it. The Bible says to encourage each other and build each other up. Help the other person be the best that they can be. If I could quote Zig Ziglar, since I heard him this week, you can have everything in life you want if you will help enough other people to get what they want. If you'll help enough other people to get what they want, you'll have everything in life that you want. Encourage each other and build each other up. And I like the last part. He said, just as you are already doing. You're already doing it. Now, I invite you, to more, I invite you today. Maybe like me, you walked into a church and you didn't know what you were getting into. As a teenage teenager, I'd grown up in church, worn, I wore robes and lit candles and did that sort of thing. I'd been sprinkled. I had a card in my billfold that said I was going to heaven. I mean, I was a member of a church. Truth of the matter is, I was not going to heaven. Because being religious does not get you in heaven. I was a member of a church, but I was not saved. I was not born again. I was not on the winning team. But I didn't know it because religion had fooled me. But I came to a church 
similar to this, and I felt something. Oh, I saw a lot of things I'd never seen before. Maybe you've never seen anyone speak in tongues. That may freak you out just a little bit. It's okay. It's just a Bible thing that you've never seen before. Maybe you've never heard this kind of music. Maybe you were expecting an organ. Nothing wrong with organ. I love good organ music. You know, in classic rock music. Maybe you were expecting somebody really different than me. But maybe like me, you walked into a building like this and it wasn't anything that you were expecting, but you realized there's something missing in my life. And I just want you to know who it is. His name is Jesus. And he doesn't want to be just a God up there. He doesn't want to be a statue on the wall. He wants to be the Lord in your heart. And you do that. No one else can do this for you. Not your parents. Say, my parents baptized me. Doesn't matter. Sorry. Does not matter. Hey, they probably gave you a bath every day. That's all that it did. You got wet one more time. It's not what your parents have done. It's not what your grandparents have done. Say, my grandparents started a church. Well, good for them, but it doesn't help you. No one can do it for you. God has no grandchildren. You have to do it yourself. It's not complicated. He made it easy. Jesus did all the work, and he just said, now just believe. Just believe and confess me. That's it. So I want to give you the opportunity today to simply believe in Jesus Christ that he died on the cross for you. He died for your sins. He paid the price so you don't have to. He was punished so you could be forgiven. You believe that. You confess that with your mouth. You repent. You change directions. You no longer, I guarantee you, if you ask Jesus into your life, your life will change. You won't keep going down the road you're on right now. You're going to turn and go down a different road. And there are things in your life you're going to turn away from and you're going to turn toward God. And God's going to set you free for, from some things. But, but, but hear me carefully. You don't clean yourself up first. Don't say, well, I'm going to quit this and quit that and quit something else. Then I'll get saved. Wrong order. Get saved or ask Jesus in your life and then let him help you do all of that. Amen. Now are you ready? I'm going to just give you a moment of just, just privacy. I'm going to ask everybody to bow their heads and close their eyes. Nobody looking around. Just one minute. Please don't get up and leave right now. With heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around. I'm going to give you the opportunity to ask Jesus into your life turn away from your pain and your sorrow and find a joy and a peace that you've never known before. It's by faith. You believe. Believe in Jesus. No one's looking around but right now, if this is your choice, this is your decision, you want to ask Jesus in your life. I'm not going to call you forward. I'm not going to embarrass you or call you out. But this is a chance for you to do this. No one is looking. If that's you, you want to ask Jesus into your life right here, right now. I want you to raise your hand real high in the air. Hold it up for just a moment. 
You want to ask Jesus to come into your life, to change you, to give you new life. Would you lift your hand high right now? Now let me ask you this. You know in your heart you've drifted away from the Lord. You don't need to get saved again, but you just need to get back on the right track. You need to get back on the right road. You've drifted away. You just need to get right again. Would you raise your hand? Praise the Lord. Many, many, many hands. Father God, you've seen every hand, but most importantly, you see our hearts. And you love us, and you care for us. So Lord, I pray for each person that have raised their hand today. Ask that God, you would do the work that, that you have promised. You said that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us. So Lord, forgive us today. Create as David prayed, God, create within me a new heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Lord, let there be a newness of life come back today that we've, we've not experienced in quite some time. Give me a new heart. A new joy, a new hope, Lord God. Today, if you've raised your hand, God's going to change your heart, change your life. But I'm asking everyone to pray this prayer. Everyone say, Dear God, I believe in Jesus. He died on the cross to forgive me of my sin. I believe in Jesus. God raised him from the dead. He is victorious. And I am victorious because of Jesus. Come into my heart Save me, change me, give me a new life, a new start, a new hope. And let me be a winner for Jesus Christ. In his name, amen. Let's give the Lord a good praise offering today. God bless you. So many of you raised your hands. And I believe that if you've prayed and asked Jesus,